Um, so my name is Letseba and I'll be leading us through the Bible reading, which is Second Peter, um, chapter 1, from verses 1 to 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Thanks, Bathsheba. Good morning, everyone. It's an interesting, we've had an interesting last five weeks, haven't we? We've done a series of talks on Keller's book, The Reason of God, Reason for God. And we've looked at a range of arguments and concerns and questions that people have about Christianity that, that he, uh, that, uh, Keller raises. The topics we discussed, just to remind you all, um, were, isn't the Bible a myth? What about other religions? Why are there so many rules? Why is there so much evil in the world? And why are Christians such hypocrites? And as I think back over those, um, those five weeks and the discussions and the points that are there, it was brought home to me again and again that just how important it is for those of us who identify as Christian to live out our faith in a way that reflects the relationship we have with God. and In a way that reflects it as fully and consistently and as clearly as possible. Because you see, those questions that we answer, those questions that Keller addresses, reflect the reality that our inability to live out our faith fully undermines the process of the gospel. And so we need to make the effort to learn how to live out our faith fully. But of course, our experience is that it's hard to do that, um, isn't it? I mean, we all want to do that, but we find it hard. We're sinful. And at times we struggle in our relationship with God, and at times we're inconsistent. We get tired. And indeed, very often we lack the understanding of how to be the people that God wants us to be. It's not a new experience. This has been around for the past 2,000 years, ever since the creation, since the beginning of Christianity. 
And it's one of those items that was on Peter's mind when he wrote to Peter. The question of how we live out, our, how his the people he was with, we lived out their faith as fully and consistently as possible, underlie the opening 11 verses of this, uh, this book, the second letter of Peter. And so, to help us to understand how we should live out our faith more fully, we're going to look at Peter and what Peter says. Before we do that, let's pray, because we need God's help to understand this. So, Lord, may the words that I say and the thoughts and ideas that we explore this morning be true to your word. Help us to understand more clearly your message for us, your love for us, and the life that you would have us live. Amen. Now, we all know who Peter was. Peter was the, uh, the apostle uh, who lived and worked with Christ during the last few years of his life. And he's, he's written this letter from Rome, most probably from Rome, probably in the last, uh, in the last few years of his life, but he mentions the fact that he's expecting to die soon. So it's about 65, 70 AD. And as he thought back on his con- the people he was working with, um, he's notes his concern is, and his opening concern in this letter, is that people are not living up to their faith the way they should be, and he's concerned to say, well, how are you going to do that, guys? He's keen to ensure these readers understand who they are in Christ, that is their identity, and what that means for them as they go about their daily life. And this uh, passage breaks down into three key areas. Uh, the first one is that this works. The basics of a Christian identity. Uh, verses 1 to 4, he looks at just what it means to be a Christian. The second part is the qualities of the Christian life. That's verses 5 to 7. And then finally, he talks about the outcome of Christian persistence. So if you hang in there, what's going to happen? And that's where we're going in today's topic as we go through them. So we're going to start with the basics of Christian identity. Let's see what Peter teaches us about that. That should have worked. Come on. There it is. We read in Peter 1-4, which Bathsheba's just read for us, but a reminder. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he's given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So, Commences, Peter commences by saying, identifying himself as a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. You see, his identity is based on his relationship with Christ. His life is one of doing God's will. That's being a servant. And he's learned about how to do that by observing being an apostle of Christ. So, also his, his will is, his, his life is to preach the gospel, to teach people about Christ. He had the benefit of uh, walking with him for, for three years and then being summoned by him or set the task by Christ of taking his message to the world. 
So his identity lies in the roles that Christ asks him to play. Servant and apostle. And he talks about those he's writing to. He describes them as those who have been given their faith through God's righteousness. Really important understanding of who Christians are. You see, their identity is also based on their relationship with Christ. But it's a relationship that they didn't earn in any way. It's a relationship of equal faith. It's as precious as, uh, as Peter's. But it's a relationship that was given them as a gift. A gift given purely because God is righteous. Because he loves. Because he is, is the one who created them. So there's a starting point of understanding the Christian identity. It's not an identity we've, we've earned or deserve. It's an identity based upon the relationship with Christ. It's an identity that is a gift through the faith that God gives us. And it's purely because of God's righteousness. It's his mercy that brings us into relationship with him. And then Peter continues on with these words. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Now, we know that grace and peace be yours is actually a Pauline phrase. It comes from Paul's letters. Paul makes that opening statement, grace and peace, in every single one of his letters, all 13 of them. And they're really important for the Christian to understand. You see, grace and peace are a state, a status before God. Christians are in a state of grace and a state of peace. They've got God's favour, that's grace, and they're no longer in conflict with him. They were before, but they're not now. That's because of the gift that God gives them. But not only are grace and peace a state of relationship, they're an experience of relationship. They're that feeling of well-being that comes from being a Christian. Christians experience a sense of grace and a sense of peace in their lives as a result of their faith in Christ and the knowledge that they are in a relationship with him. And Peter wants to add a bit that Paul doesn't add in his words. He adds the words which we've translated as in abundance. They're actually the verb to multiply, that these should multiply over time. So not only are grace and peace the status, but they're the experience that we should expect to grow and grow. We should expect to grow in grace and expect to grow in peace. And that's what Peter's prayer is for his readers. It's not static. Grace and peace develop over time. And the third component of the Christian identity that Peter tells his readers about is to remind them that God has given them everything that they need for life and godliness. You see, God wants those he has given faith to to experience his divine power and live a life that reflects his glory and goodness. That's what living a life of godliness means, simply a life that reflects the relationship with God, his glory and his goodness to those around us. And as we were saying before, we find it hard to do that, so it was a difficult task for Peter's readers. They live in a corrupt and evil world, and that corruption arises not only from the evil desires of the world, but also from the evil desires that are in them. And it's through participating in Christ's nature, it's through utilising the power that he gives them, that they can escape that corruption, that can rise above it. 
So what Peter's done is he's given us an insight into the basics of being a Christian, the basic experience of being a Christian, the basic acts of being a Christian. And they are that we humbly acknowledge and be thankful for God's mercy. As a Christian, we recognise that it's not of anything we've done. They rejoice in the continuing undeserved favour of God. They delight in the growing security and peace that comes from being in a relationship with God. And they use the power of God that he's given them to live a life of godliness. The essential understanding of Christian identity, what it means to be a Christian. And having laid it out for us, Peter then goes on and says, okay, let's understand how we go about using the power of God to live out a life of godliness while we depend upon those acknowledgement and the rejoicing and the delight. We find those in the next two verses. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Most of the translations, the older translations, use the word brotherly kindness there rather than mutual affection. We'll cover that in a moment. There are eight qualities there. That, encourages, that Peter encourages readers to pursue so that they can live out a life. So he's not telling them what they should do. These qualities of weight tell us about how we should be living out a life. Uh, they're called virtues, and they reflect, uh, at the time, the Stoic philosophers, uh, who were very influential back at the time that, uh, of Christ, they made lists and lists of virtues. Uh, some, one of them even had 42 virtues. But um, what Peter done is seemed to have borrowed from the Stoic philosophers. He's come up with these eight virtues. A virtue is a, is a personality trait. It's, it's, a, it's a personality effort which enables us to promote and grow the well-being of ourselves and our community. And so these are sometimes referred to as the eight Christian virtues. Two things to notice about them, of course. Uh, firstly, Peter doesn't encourage the Christians to strive to develop these characteristics because this is how you earn God's favour. Um, I've read services, I've listened to people preach, who've said that by doing these things you earn God's favour. But that's not what Peter's talking about. Um, they're not done to secure Christ's favour nor secure his promises. Christians already had that. These are a gift. These, these already arise. They're a free gift from God. His grace and favour are a free gift from God. The reason we're told to strive for these characteristics is because God has strengthened us and empowered us to do so. Striving is in response to God's grace, not to gain it. And also, we notice there's a sequence. Uh, Paul uses the word, Peter uses the word, add to, add to. And while Peter presents these as a developmental sequence, the later virtues don't replace the earlier ones, so we don't grow from faith um, into goodness. Uh, we add goodness to faith, and we add knowledge to goodness and faith. So the whole lot, was a, it's a building block. We build a building, kind of like a house, which is secure and strong, and when people look at it, they go, wow, that's, that's great. The first block, of course, is faith. 
the word actually, there it is there, which is a gift from God. Uh, this is the acceptance of God, the love of God and response to God's gracious willingness. Faith is also not just an acceptance, it's an action. Faith is belief in action. It's the God-given ability to trust in him. It's a gift that needs to be exercised continuously and over time. And so Peter's saying, start off with faith, what God has given you, and then add the second one, goodness. The word actually means excellence. Doing what we do excellently. So no matter what you do, if we're adding excellence, we're going to do it to the highest possible level. It's a form of practical goodness, if you like. And it's a reflection of Christ's excellence. So Peter's encouraging his readers to excel in all they do. They don't just say that's good enough, a pretty Aussie knocker thing to do, but go the extra mile. Make the extra effort to ensure that what we do is the best we can do because we are emulating our excellent Christ. And add to that the knowledge of God. It's actually, the word there is just knowledge, but the word means knowledge of God. Not scientific knowledge or philosophical knowledge or academic knowledge, the sort of ones that build us up um, in our own self-esteem and our own ego, but the knowledge of God which builds our character and gives, enables us to understand how God, who God is and how he wants us to live. It's the knowledge of God's character and will. We gain that, of course, by studying scripture and by living in relationship with other Christians, by listening to uh, and reading Christian books, by walking with Christ as we face the difficulties of life and having people care for us, demonstrating Christ to us. Our knowledge of God is never complete. It's a lifelong process no matter how long one's been a Christian. No matter how long you've been a Christian, you have still got a lot to learn. I've been a Christian for some 62 years and um, I'm not there yet. A long way from it, as my family will tell you. The fourth block is self-control. A long way from it. Okay, that's controlling our passions rather than being controlled by them. Um, The lack of self-control is the essence of selfishness. It means we grab what we want when we want it. But the tray of self-control... The virtue of self-control is enabling us to make certain that we do act in the way that God wants us to act rather than the way that we want us to act. Self-control is essential if we're going to be able to put our knowledge of God's character and love into our interactions with others. And then we add perseverance. So you see we're building this building. Faith, goodness, knowledge of God, self-control, perseverance. It's a pretty impressive picture. Um, if we are able to achieve these things. Perseverance simply means patience. Hanging in there, even when times are difficult. If we're self-controlled, we're able to put off our needs for fulfilment. We can delay the seeking gratification. We can wait. And that means we can bear difficulties without getting downhearted, without wanting things to change so um, dramatically at the time to be what we want them to be. Perseverance arises not only from self-control, but from our knowledge of God's character. Our knowledge that he is the one who creates, that he is the one who loves, and that he is the one who has everything under his control. Godliness is what 
pindlingos suetos. This is godliness. The word means piety. Um, we don't use the word piety very much these days, but back in the 1800s, early 1900s, used all the time. Piety means a genuine reverence towards God. Because we can see and know God, we need to be developing our understanding of Him, our awe and our wonder and our love and our fear of God. You see, piety motivates action. As we grow in the understanding of who God really is and what He's done for us, we can have no other response than to be motivated to do His will so that others develop that same understanding of awe and wonder, who God really is. When we understand who He is, we also understand who we are more fully. And the last two, which are mutual affection and love of all, love for all, or brotherly affection, both relate back to the godliness and the piety and the five other ones above them here. These are, if you like, the outward demonstration to the people around us of who God is. They're the outward demonstration of our understanding of God, our reverence and care for him. They're the outward demonstration of our knowledge and our pursuit of excellence and self-control. Mutual affection simply means brotherly love, love for our fellow Christians, those inside our community. What he's saying is, guys, you need to be showing your love for the community who supports you and care for you and who you contribute to. And then the eighth one, which is agape, uh, charity, this is loving and doing good to all people, including those outside the community. So you can see that if we are people who demonstrate those eight virtues, and we demonstrate them growing and continuing to grow, then we're building a, an image, a, a representation to, to the people around who we, who we meet and deal with, which is going to be attractive, and it's going to be truthful, and it's going to be clear, and it's going to allow them to uh, answer those questions that we talked about in the last five weeks, but also to see more clearly who God really is and why being in relationship with him is so important. Virtues, the eight virtues of the Christian life. But Peter doesn't just leave it there and say, okay guys, go out and do those things. Because let's face it, as I've already said, it's extremely difficult. So he reminds them there's an outcome of your Christian persistence by persisting in it. That outcome we find in 2 Peter verses 8 to 11. 1 verses 8 to 11. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone does not have them, he's nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. There's a threefold reason for a threefold outcome of persisting in our Christian faith. The first is that by persisting in our Christian faith, by striving actively to possess and develop these qualities, we're demonstrating our thankfulness to the fact that we've been cleansed from our past sins. 
We're demonstrating thankfulness. Thankfulness should always lead to a response, an action response. The second one is that by striving to possess and develop these qualities, then we're going to be we're going to be effective and productive. These qualities keep us from being ineffective and unproductive. These qualities enable us to live out the sort of life that Christ wants us to do. Our lives, if we live this way, will bring will reflect the relationship with God to the community around them and bring glory to God. Effectiveness and productiveness. And the third one is that actively striving to possess and develop these qualities stops us from falling. It enables us to realise the reality of our faith and it's the means by which we will realise our hope of eternal life with Jesus. You do these things in the sure knowledge that we'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord. That's why it's important to persist in our relationship with God. So what's that mean for us today? Well, very simply, the the opening question was, how do we live out our faith in a way that reflects the relationship we have with God as fully and clearly as possible? By doing these three things. First of all, remember the basics of our Christian identity. Be reassured. Our identity in Christ is not dependent on who we are or what we've done. Our faith is a gift from God. Our struggles with our faith and our failure to be the people God wants us to be, our continued difficulty in living a godly life, make no difference to our status before God. We are in that status of grace and peace. We are recipients of it because he chose us. And we can rest firmly on that fact. So we need to be thankful and rejoice in his favour and delight in his peace and depend on his power to live out our faith. Secondly, strive to develop those qualities that will enable us to be, to be productive and effective, effective. Those eight qualities, the qualities of faith and goodness and knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and mutual affection and love for all. It's a challenge. At first glance, you read those and you go, there's no way I can, I can live up to those. They appear unattainable. But of course, that's not so. All of us already possess all these characteristics to some extent. We possess them because we are born in the image of God. And those are characteristics of God. All we have to do is grow them and develop them. And we do that uh, so that we can be, by doing that we'll be encouraged to continue on in our Christian life as we see the fact that we are changing over time. And we're not facing this challenge in our own strength, of course. We've got God's power through the Holy Spirit to enable us to grow and develop the qualities that God wants us to reflect. And thirdly, as we live our lives out and we strive to, to be the people God wants us to be, do so in the certainty of the outcomes of our Christian life. Be reassured, know that as we live out our life, reflecting our relationship with God, we will not fall and we will be welcomed into an eternal kingdom at the end of our lives here on earth. 
with our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your grace and favour shown so magnificently to us in the life and death of Jesus. And thank you for the gift of faith and for the many opportunities you give us daily to live out that faith. We ask that you will give us the strength and wisdom to fulfil the roles and tasks you've given us well. Help us to strive to add goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, reverence, brotherly kindness and love to the faith you've given us. Enable us to be more effective in living your way and showing you clearly to those whom we meet. Help us to be your servants and your witnesses to our communities so that many will come to know you. Amen.